Hey there, it's Ben. This is the promised follow-up to our Advantage Tale, because, well, there was a lot of ideas percolating around. And I'm wanting to give a quick shout-out to those of you who have been putting us in, like, Twitter lists, mentioning us on Facebook, mentioning us on Reddit. We do see that, and it's really heartening, it's really cool to see, and it also leads to new ideas for us to do on Tales. Also, do want to give a quick shout-out to our Patreons who are able to help us out financially you can be like them at patreon.com slash the hydean way thank you and now on to the show all right i think i have it this wire goes here and i brush this ribbon cable with the battery and poof oh no 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 not that kind of poof the good poof. Oh, Risa, I think we have a problem here. <sighs> Move over. I pull out my lockpicks and kneel down next to the panel. Hmm, this is going to be a tough one. Welcome to a high-stakes tale from the Hydean Way. We're your hosts, Risa D. And Ben Yendel. Last episode, we talked about using advantage and some strategies on doing that. But there's a few other things to deal with giving out, like using threat. Because as easy as it is to use advantage, and of all the other four, threat is, well, triumphs are kind of easy, but advantage is really easy. Hey, look, I activate my crit. Or, hey, look, I give a bouncing boost or boost or whatnot. Like, that's totally a thing. Figuring out what to do with a threat, if you're the GM, or worse, if you're the player. It's like, I have just been rolled against, and the thing that was attacking me gave threat. Oh no, what do I do with that? And just everyone staring around the table of what? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> I think it's the hardest thing for new players to figure out what to do with. And I know that we all just kind of bring out the, the cheat sheet. Yep. Because we, we made copies of that page with all of the stuff on it. We just made copies and gave it to everyone of things you can do with threats and things you can do with advantages and stuff. And so we just have multiple copies of it. And so everyone's like, I don't know. And we'll just push it around the table. <laughs> well, it's effective. It's very useful, but there's other things you can do as well. And I feel like for players, it's it's hard in a different way than it's hard for GMs. Because in GMs, it's hard because... It's really easy to fall into the, oh, you uh, got two threats, so take two strain. Yeah. It's really easy to just fall into that, especially when you're trying to get a session just to keep it going. If you're not giving the two threat, you're giving a setback. Yeah. And it's just that. It's like, okay, yeah, fine. Just to keep it going, exactly as you said. Just to keep the momentum moving. All right, let's just do this. It's nice, easy, done. Instead of trying to do something a bit more storied with it that can work into it. Because you can do some really cool things with threat, especially if it's like you're having something rolled against you. Because it's kind of like what we were talking about with noticing something story-wise for advantage. You can do something very similar with threat, especially something like you can say like, oh, I think with that threat, I noticed that they've left themselves open. You can narrate how that threat has affected the person who just rolled. And it can be really fun and interesting how you do it. Or 
it can be very mechanical and okay, they're going to take a step back if they try to shoot me again. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which again, that's kind of like the way that I introduce it to people though, is, you know, here are the mechanical things you can do with it. That's just the, the best way to start. Here are your options. When starting out with it, here are your options is probably the best way of doing it. Well, I'm almost certain that there's a listener out there who has compiled into a grand table all of the different tables. Because, (laughs) especially towards the back half of creating the specialization books, they started tossing in tables for almost everything. The thing that I'm actually a little sad that they didn't toss in was, like, alternate use ones for melee or brawling instead of just the combat ones. But it's like, okay, yeah, having that giant table of, well, these are all the different threat ideas for, like, streetwise and stealth. I think one of my players, she did. She emailed it to all of us and printed it out and stuff. So it was very handy. handy. It was very handy. But it also then becomes a, okay, let's check our sheet. Yeah, and it almost becomes a checklist. While that's really good for if you have a moment of, I have no ideas. I have absolutely no idea how this person, they just like threw something at me, how I can use that threat. I'm like, I don't know right now, right? Then that's a good thing to look at. But what I would prefer someone to do first is to open it up to the table. That is a very good solution, yes. I really like it when players open it up to the table and say, does anyone else have a good idea? Because some people have really good ideas. I have some players who have great ideas on what to do with threat and advantage who think way outside the box. Or uh, one of my players brought her husband to one of our games once. And he doesn't usually game at all. So it was a very fresh perspective. He doesn't do (laughs) D&D or anything like that. So he came in. He was just playing what was normally an NPC. He... (laughs) came up with the most amazing ideas on what to do with things. Just asking other people on what to do with it can give you a lot of like an outside opinion because you can get really stuck in, especially if you're looking at the tables and stuff, it can be Mm -hmm. very, what exactly can I do with this that's on my chart? It's as easy of a pitfall to fall into as just giving out strain because then it's, yeah, the checkbox kind of idea of stealth they've got three threat i'm going to have an alarm go off and all of a sudden everyone that they're using for cover is now cleared out and it's just everyone standing around yeah cool idea to use once to use multiple times and it's like eh. yeah that's the reason why like those tables are cool ideas but they're a starting point like they're almost sort of a leveling thing and figuring out like okay well this is generally like what one thread is, or this is what two thread is, and getting that relationship. Definitely. And it can help when you're starting, especially for like checks that you don't do very often. Oh, yes. If you are doing a an Age of Rebellion game, and then suddenly you're having to do some sort of like underworld check, and no one <laughs> like has that. Yeah. Then maybe you need a refresher on something you can do with those threats or advantages. So it's like, oh, we haven't done that in a while. Let's pull it out, right? Yeah. It's very helpful for that. But I don't I think it's something that you should probably keep like in in your in your binder <laughs> for normal gameplay until someone needs it. 
using some of the softer skills, but the only metaphor I'm coming up with at the moment, like, say, skullduggery or stealth or streetwise, something along that lines, or knowledge underworld. <laughs> no, I absolutely didn't grab endless vigil or ciphers and masks to bring with me uh, so that I could reference them. Okay, putting the tables aside, how do you judge the difference between, like, giving out the one threat and the two threat or the three threat thing? To be honest, it also has, for me, to do with what they're trying to do and the difficulty of the check. And I know that's such a hard thing to, like, explain to people, but if I'm giving someone an easy check and they somehow generate, with, like, a setback, and they generate, like, one threat, it's not going to be super severe. Or if they generate even two threat, it's still not going to be as severe as if it was like a hard check on something. And they generate two threat, I'm probably going to give them more of a consequence. Uh, like if you give me, let's say, a skullduggery check. Okay. They're trying to break in. They're trying to pick a lock. Yep. First, they're trying to pick a very easy lock. This is like literally trying to get into one of those like popping bathroom locks that you can just stick a paperclip in, right? That's the easy check. And if you get a single threat on that one, I'm going to say you just broke your paperclip in it, right? So you can't use that paperclip again. Your paperclip is broken. You can't use it again. But as long as you succeeded at the check, you can still, you know, open it. Yeah. Whereas if it's a hard check, if this is a more difficult lock and you generated a threat... I'm still going to not give you something like super a threat is going to be like maybe how you broke into it. You left some scratches on it. And if someone looks carefully, they're going to know someone broke in. If you generate like three or four, which I've had them do. Oh, yeah. When they break in, I'm going to say you broke that lock. You succeeded in breaking in, but you broke the lock. So someone's going to know you (laughs) came in. That's my level of threat is that it goes from if you succeed at doing it and you get the threat, I'm going to say stuff like that. You still like succeed in doing it, but you're going to break what you're doing. But if you fail at doing it and you generate the threat, if you fail at doing something and you don't generate threat, I'm still going to keep with the skullduggery because my people like to break into things all the time. That's just like their favorite thing to do. (laughs) Oh, they are players. Yeah, if they're doing the skullduggery check, they fail it, but they like have advantage I'm going to be like, okay, you didn't break it. You can probably try to break in in a different way. Whereas if they fail at it and they get threat, I'm just going to say you were unable to break in and you broke the lock. You are unable to get in this way. You need to find another entrance. So there's the entire thing. Like this is completely closed off. You generated like four threat. No, you broke the lock. It's done. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Jeez, oh, That just gets me thinking of... Okay, Kiro's doing Mask of the Pirate Queen. There's a door in it, amazingly enough. And (laughs) someone has to skullduggery or mechanics it. And in the text of the check, because it's coming from the book, is, and three threat or despair, they break the lock and they can't go forward on this. Which, as a GM, it's like, oh, okay. I would never consider that, oh, wait. And then on the roll, there's two threat. I'm like, wow, they came close. I mean, for me, I would never like be like, and that's the end of that. It always has to be, and there's another way to get in. There's a window, but it's going to be more dangerous. Oh, yeah. Something, you know. Even in that adventure, there's 
something along that line. The thing that, while you were describing the scale of threat, the thing that I just keep coming back to, I don't know why, is hot wiring a car using skullduggery. Yeah. Okay, one threat is like you accidentally zap yourself on something. Oh, yeah, definitely. Two threats, it's the two seconds of car alarm kind of thing. Yeah. All of a sudden, the car alarm's going off for like just two seconds, like you've opened the door without disarming it or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then you remember the button and it's like beep, beep, and everything's good. Then weirder things for three and more. But hearing you describe your levels of it, and then also looking at ciphers and masks, I'm really thinking I'm underplaying the amount of mischievousness that threat can be. <laughs> for me, it's like three threat or more is considered a despair, basically. <laughs> Anything like one threat is like, okay, fine. That's not very much. But once you get to two threat, that's like half of a despair. Like when you think about it like that, that's quite a bit of threat then. Yeah. So that's kind of how I like to scale it. I'm like, you're halfway to a despair. Like if someone had rolled a despair on to me, like if you're hot wiring a car and <laughs> you get a despair, if I'm being like very kind to them, I'm going to be like, yeah, uh, I mean, you were still able to turn on the car. The car didn't break. However, there were cameras everywhere. You guys <laughs> did not check for that, which I've done to them before. I, 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 if they don't check for cameras, that's like my first thing. If they, they're trying to sneak in somewhere and they don't check for cameras, <laughs> that's what threat does. Ooh, I like that. Threat yep. is there's a camera. There are several cameras. There are cameras that are being, you know, viewed by people currently. <laughs> the more threat you get. That totally works. And then there's just, as the GM, saving threat up. Yeah. Which really helps in investigations and in heists, like specifically those and like bounty situations mm -hmm. as well. Anytime when, if they figure out you're doing something, then everything's going to like to craziness. I like to keep a tally if it's something like that. So if they're trying to stay under the radar, but I don't want to make them keep doing stealth checks constantly, they're just trying to keep things on the down low. Every time someone generates threat in a role, I just keep a tally. If they reach up to like 10 threat, this thing is going to happen. They're going to be confronted by these people or these people are now going to know. So this encounter is going to happen. Okay. Hmm. Which has happened now because in my urban fantasy one, they generated they generated fifteen threat was my threshold. Okay, and so the organization they were trying to figure out knew that they were looking for them uh, because they broke a lock. This is one of the <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and having that be sort of the last straw. That's just hilarious. Threat is just fun to use as the GM because you can you can do things right in the moment for narrative effect, right? For just something like, okay, and then an alarm starts going off. It might have nothing to do with you. <laughs> like, there's an alarm going off in the next section over, but that means that people are going to have to go through where you are. Whoops. Yeah. You were hot wiring something, you accidentally set off the alarm in the next section over. Whoopsie daisy. So you can do stuff like that and bring urgency to situations with threat, but you can also do things in the long game with threat. Yeah. And that's really fun. Yeah, it really, really is. Obviously, it's sort of depending on what you're doing with it, but having 
those narrative things that then are able to expand on. It's like, okay, yes, to go with the combat one is you're shooting at these guys and you have generated two threat in telling up the damage. Well, one of this minion group is gone. Now we're down to the last two minions around and you've got two threat, which is a free maneuver for the person being shot at. So they start booking it. Oh, look, it's their turn. Well, then they are booking it. And now they're at medium range because I'm obviously thinking of a brawler. And, oh, look, because you can't move more than twice in a round, they are wildly shooting behind them. <laughs> so, like, stay away. So you can spend all of your uh, turn getting back up to try and punch him or let them flee. Yeah. Nope. Nope. Running away. <laughs> I love that, especially when, oh, look, that threat is now banked up with all the other threat that has happened. And then because these two have gotten away, now all of a sudden, well, the main group that they're a part of now knows that you're coming. They got a way to call for reinforcements. That's another thing. That's what I really like to do with threat during combat is if enough threat is generated, I'll use that maneuver for the person being shot at or being uh, taken a swing at or whatever to call for reinforcements. Because that is a really good use of it. Especially if they think they're winning. I'm like, ha ha ha, ha ha, no. All of a sudden, oh no, you've now crossed the 10 threat threshold. And... Say that 10 times fast. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> there comes another squad of whatever they're fighting. Like, oh yeah. no, we're shooting up this street gang. And then we get enough threat that Another group comes around like, oh, yeah. Hey, Jimmy. Hey, Bob. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, kabang, kabang. Well, got to help out the rest of the gang. Threat's just, it's good. And that always sounds so bad when you say it like that, but it adds interest to the game. It really does. And I know when I first started playing as a player, I was always like, oh, I rolled threat. But, or, oh, I failed, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But as... Our playgroup evolved, and everyone in it got better at the system, and our GM got better at the system. We all started, like, cheering on the failures and the high threats and the despairs in roles because we knew it was going to be interesting. Because, sure, a role that's just, like, three successes, it's like, okay, hooray, I succeeded. <laughs> but if you get, like, two successes and, like, five threat, you're like, oh, my gosh, I succeeded, but at what cost? That then turns into the thing. It's like, okay, from this role, I've gotten five threat. I have succeeded in what I'm doing. I have done exactly what I was describing, but that then caused an unintended consequence. I had my gunslinger character, and uh, I can't remember exactly what I rolled, but I remember I did this really awesome thing. I had the dual wielding. I shot like two different groups of stormtroopers. I like killed one in each group, but I rolled so much threat. That it's like, and then one of your pistols just dies. Ow. You are Oosh. completely out of, it just, the battery pack is just completely dead for the rest of the encounter. And I'm like, Oosh. oh, I am no longer effective. <laughs> oh, and a gunslinger, that would be really painful. Uh, oh, no. But it was, it was at least it was something that was very interesting. And it gave us like this. And that's what happens when you have to roll those ridiculous rolls. Because I didn't quite have that. <laughs> awesome upgrade yet where you don't have to take because it yeah uh gunslinger is a great tree <laughs> <laughs> there's a few of those 
I've also seen a couple rolls where it's three successes based off of two triumphs, but all the difficulty dice came up threat. Oh, yeah. It's like, okay, I have now just like wiped out this minion group and I have done something absolutely horrible. <laughs> Guess we're doing the combat bit. And it's like, okay, I'm just shooting randomly and there goes one, there goes two, there goes three, and there goes a crate in behind him. That is, oh no, that's filled with jet fuel. That's bad. <laughs> okay, sure, I'm willing to give them the rest of the minion group, but at what cost? It's like, oh no, no, there's an explosion of minions and an explosion of jet fuel that we're now within blast of. I always let them resolve their triumphs before I, and advantages before I use any of their threat. Same here. Or despairs. So I always go, okay, what do you want to do before I do what I want to do? <laughs> Especially since because sometimes what I want to do would cancel out what they want to do. So I want them to have the first pick, right? I want them to be able to do whatever they want first. And then I can play off of what they did because that's fun. It can be like I like did some cool flip and I was able to shoot you know, all of these people and I did it like that. And I was like, okay. And when you went down to land, you rolled your ankle and now you're prone. Now mm -hmm. for your next turn, you're going to have to spend your maneuver to get up before you can do anything. And you have to take two strain, depending on like how many actual things yeah. they have. That's five threat right there. You, you rolled your ankle, you take two strain, you're going to have to get back up. Like it's five threat. That totally exactly. makes sense. That's a huge part of it is like using threat as a cost for succeeding. It's like, okay, I have succeeded, but in doing so that there's this other aspect. The one that I absolutely love doing is social skills with threat because it almost seems like that's easier than any other version. Yeah, sometimes. Okay, coercion, maybe not quite as much because a lot of coercion, in my opinion, has a semi-negative effect anyway. Yeah. As in, someone's going to be resentful anyway. You're doing charm, and then you succeed, but you've got two threat on the roll. Well, now they're not quite as set. They're not quite as willing. Like, they're willing to do this thing for you, because, well, you've succeeded. You're obviously getting this. But you've got some threat, so maybe it's done exactly as you said, instead of trying to get the implied meaning. Almost literally work to rule. <laughs> oh, yes. You said you wanted... An explosive that will take down this building. All right. You didn't say what size. So here's this steamer trunk. <laughs> oh, sorry. We ran out of the steamer trunks with wheels. This one's just, you're going to have to drag. I'm sorry. <laughs> there are these two handles on either end? For me with coercion, threat includes fear. So w fear makes people harder to manage or to keep around. So when you're coercing Ooh. someone... And you get threat. They'll do what you want, but then they're going to bolt. That's good. And you can't keep using them. They're they're like terrified of you. So they're gone. <laughs> That's a pretty good use for almost any of the social skills. It's like, well, now this is our final dealing. Yeah. But yeah, using it as fear with coercion really sells it for me. I love that idea. With negotiation, I usually use it as, like, offense. They're offended at this deal that you're proposing. Like, <laughs> especially when they're trying to negotiate prices on things. Mm -hmm. They'll accept your price, 
but they don't want to deal with you anymore. Like, they're offended at this, that you would suggest that their all of their stuff is worth this price. So they're just settling for this price to get you out of their shop. That's what threat does, too, especially with, like, enough threat. It's like, "Mm mm-mm, they don't want to deal with you anymore. They want you out. I love it. I enjoy the social skills and using threat on those because it's more fun narratively than things like combat. Combat can be boring almost with threat compared to some of the other things. Whereas with a deception check, you can get so much more narratively out of threat. Especially if you succeed with threat. Mm -hmm. It's like they believe your lie, but... They're skeptical or they are going to realize in a bit there's only a timed period now where they're going to believe this lie. And maybe they'll turn back around later and be like, hey, wait a second, depending on how much threat. (laughs) That's been a a despair before. You succeeded with a despair. So you have five minutes before they're Ah, going to ah. turn back around. That is perfect. Do what you're going to do and get out. Yeah, it's holding them off for now, but you know that they're going to be back soon enough. Yeah. As I say, I'm one who really underutilizes threat. Like, my two threat, it's only recently started to be getting bigger. That being said, I'm normally using them as environmental modifiers. You get two threat while doing something that creates something else in the environment. Yeah. I'm trying to sneak in, and I have now tripped over something that was just laying out, laying around. Like, I'm trying to sneak around, and, well, there was a mop that I accidentally tripped over, and now it's clattering on the floor. <laughs> and you've ducked around the corner before anyone can see, but get yeah, now there's that mop that's knocked over, and people are trying to come this way. They're interested now. I would say something like that would have to then, then you have to make another check. It depends on how much threat was just generated from that. You trip on the mop. Now you have to make a coordination roll. Ooh. <laughs> kind of like that one. Really depends on how much threat that mop was was worth. Like, if it's just, like, one threat, oh, now you just you get a strain. Um, usually one threat can just be a strain. Like, yeah. I often, because it, like, it'll shock you in some way. Or it can be something that causes them, as the player strain in a way because I psych them out about it. (laughs) I'll give them, oh no, and then there's, you know, you accidentally clatter against a a mop, right? And now they're like, oh no, there's there's a mop there and I've just clattered against it and and, oh no, someone's going to figure something out. We Now we have to plan around this mop and now they're freaked out about this mop even though I have no plans about the mop. I don't care about the mop. I just said the mop because it was the first thing in, in my head. But I have now psyched them out. (laughs) <laughs> and that is beautiful. <laughs> and I kind of feel bad just saying that, but sometimes the strain is on the player, not the character. Like, we're giving the character a strain. It's a strain. Like Yeah. You get an advantage, and boom, that strain's gone. Exactly. I mean, you sleep. Oh, look, you've got your strain back. I know. Exactly. It's fine. I have no problems with almost straining out a character. Every yeah. now and then I feel a little bit bad when I accidentally strain characters out. Because yeah. I don't I do not bother keeping track of player stats. Yeah. Players will very willingly tell GMs, Yep, I am now strained out or oh nope, that was my last wound. I'm down. Yeah. Oh I get to make a crit roll. Gotcha. <laughs> 
And then I roll a two. Yeah, pretty much. Ah, nicked. Okay, cool. Shucks. To be fair, that's what I've always like rolled. I'm like, oh no, I have a crit. And I roll it. And I was like, oh, just a graze. Nice. I get lucky with the dice more often than not on that sort of thing, where it goes to the epicness of the scene. So I will somehow, if we're in like the final fight of this particular act, and I roll and it's going to be, oh, look, overpowered, which then gets me a main. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. Overpowered is the most dangerous of all crits. Yeah. Because it has a high chance of doing another crit, and yeah. it counts as a crit. So damage plus critting plus critting. Ouch. One of the things that we've kind of been brushing up against, and I least want to get a tiny bit of time in on this episode, we're probably going to cover it a bit more later at some point, but triumphs and despairs. Like, just the explicit, oh, look, I've actually rolled it challenge die or I've rolled a proficiency die and I've gotten a triumph or despair on it. Because rolling a challenge die and getting a triumph, that would be interesting. Um, <laughs> like, what dice are you using? I gotta check these. We're using mine from now on. <laughs> exactly. Why doesn't this challenge die have any blanks on it? <laughs> I'm just sort of thinking of a roll that happened to my Thursday night group recently where it was a big, big roll. I could go looking for finding out what it was, but the end result was a success, an advantage, a triumph, and a despair. <laughs> it's like, all right, this is amazing. Okay, so what is going on from here? Oh, yes, and I now know exactly what that was. That was someone trying to tap into a security system to retrace this one guy's steps. Mm. who was using a invisible blaster shot to frame one of the players. <laughs> it was one of the beautiful things of, oh, look, we're about to make this heist, and then I killed one of the people that they might be stealing from. <laughs> Introducing a murder mystery aspect into a heist. It was great. <laughs> is able to trace this person out, is able to get a little bit more, like there was this dude, and one of the very few times I've actually used a human NPC, and a droid, like one of those little flying ones. Mm. And it's like, okay, well, for the success, you're able to go back a decent amount of ways and trace where they come from, like even getting a birth number because they're on a cruise ship. The advantage is you're able to do this for the droid as well until it goes into the droid-only charging areas. And the triumph is you're able to put these into your facial recognition programs. Or something close to that. Allowing them to, like, find these people in a hurry in, in the future. The despair, though. The despair was fun. <laughs> because the despair was everything that they were doing because of this role, and with this computer system then on, is now transmitted to someone else. <laughs> Honestly, at the time of the recording of this, I have no idea who that someone else is. <laughs> this particular group is in trouble with the ISB. This particular group is in trouble with Black Sun. Vis-a-vis, -vis, they're also in trouble with the Huts. Like, there's like four or five groups that they're in trouble with. So it could be any of them, which is great. <laughs> and they're on a cruise ship. Nice. On top of everything. That particular role is kind of bringing up. Despairs are one of those things where, yeah, you can cancel the failure component, but that despair is always there. Yeah. On that style of a role, what sort of despair ideas would you have? Like, just for any skill, not specifically computers. I love despairs. 
Even when I'm the player, it's really fun. <laughs> what I love about what you can do with despair is especially on roles where they've succeeded. Because I love, I love successful roles with a despair and failed roles with a triumph. Like, that's some of the coolest stuff you can do in the system. But I've had things like, we had that during that police chase scene that I bring up a lot. They finally, in their final dangerous driving action to get away, get out of range of the police to lose them, finally made that, it was this huge role. He succeeds with an advantage and a despair. Ooh, and it, everything else was like blank. It was just, it was ridiculous because it was like he <laughs> could barely hold all of the dice in his hands. Because everyone was do everyone was using all of their actions to add boosts to him. So it was fantastic. It was this amazing round of an encounter where everyone's like, "And I'm going to do this to add a boost. I'm going to do this to add a boost." And I was like, "Aw, and you have my axe." And <laughs> you know exactly. That's what it was. They get away, and I'm like, but you sideswipe a car on your way out. <laughs> your van takes a crit. Mm. Like, you get away, but your van is just going to take a crit, because that's something you can do. And usually I don't crit against players with despairs. But in this case, I was mostly just so angry at them for running from the police that I was like, you sideswipe a car, you take a crit. And so, of course, that crit was like, it was like a 15 or something like that. It yeah. was so low. It was it was ridiculous. But it's that kind of, you still get away. You're still like this triumphant thing. Amazing. You get away, but you got to fix your car now. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it, it's busted. It gets you to where you're trying to go, but it's busted and you kind of need to, you, you, you now have a hit and run on your license. That too, yeah. Which they still haven't dealt with. Though he did get a new license through a, a hobgoblin named Bruce. Fair. I had him help me name him. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, obviously. Uh, but yes. that's what I really like doing is just kind of, I can't negate your success in any way, but I can add a consequence to your success. And it's a very drastic consequence in the case of when I was talking about the skullduggery, you broke the lock. You've done something that has made it so someone will know you're there. Or, you, yeah, you broke in somewhere. However, you tripped an alarm. You were able to, oh, I had one with the computers check where they were trying to break into someone's email account. And she got a despair. She succeeded. And I think she had a triumph, maybe. I can't remember. But she got a despair. And so she was able to get in completely. And she was like, and I find exactly what I'm looking for. And I was like, yeah, you do. You find exactly what you're looking for. However, you also accidentally have to bring everything out of an archive folder and you are unable to send it back to that archive folder. So when he looks in his email, he's going to notice that the email you were looking for is out of the archive folder. It has been read and he can see that it's been read. That I love. That is great. That kind of like... What you you did exactly what you know to the letter what you said you wanted to do. However, there were consequences for it. You saying that almost describes exactly one of the successful despairs in ciphers and masks. I find that ruddy hilarious. <laughs> yeah, because I don't have that one. <laughs> That's kind of the idea. Is hey, look, I have succeeded, but at what cost? And on the other end, they fail and they get triumphs. I like to try to be like, okay, you were unable to do what 
you set out to do, like period. There's no way you can talk me into that being a success for what you're trying to do. What do you want to do instead? And I've had them do really fun things. I had someone trying to hack into someone's Google account because, of course. Oh, yeah. They all have interesting ideas. And she failed, but she got a triumph. So she's like, I wasn't able to get into her Google account, but in her Facebook account, or it was like Facebook or Instagram or something, she recently had a, you know, it had a location thing or something like that. It was like a a checked in. So I know where she last was last time she checked in somewhere. So something like that. So it's like, I wasn't able to do what I wanted to do, but this other thing that can help me is there. Yeah. And that's, and that's the entire reason why the triumph and despair thing is going to turn into its own episode at some point. (laughs) Because with one despair, it's so huge. With one triumph, it's so huge. And then the multiples of triumphs. Yeah. Like, it's, well, what does two triumphs do? What does three triumphs? I have a hut that can get me five triumphs. <laughs> that just, like, it doesn't exactly terrify me because I also, the probability of that is so low. But I also have to GM like that's an inevitability. Yeah. So, Lisa. Do you have any final pieces of advice for our GMs and players that are listening about using threat in in roles and how to make it interesting? I say have those tables and charts and stuff at the ready, but keep them off the table. So have the things that tell you what you can do for each skill, you know, have them available for when someone has no clue what to do. But don't have them just completely at hand, because if you just have them on the table, that's what people are going to do all the time. So it's going to be a lot better for your game to have them just like at the back of your book, have them in your bag, have them, you know, just on the shelf, something like that, where they're easily accessible for when someone's completely stumped, but not just something that you guys are just going to use every single time. Other than that, just try and open it up to everyone at the table if one person is stumped. Because even if one person doesn't know what to do with threat, someone else probably has a great idea. That's what I say. What about you? Using two threats shouldn't be a small thing. That's always where I get hung up on. Is that, like, personally, I am very, oh, well, we're just going to give two threat, and that's just, like, double one threat, and that's it. But narratively, two threat is a lot larger than you would think. Like Risa said earlier, it is half of a despair in some ways. In almost any case, if you're looking at any of these books, you're getting like, okay, now something's happened and the thing that you're doing is not working out the way that you thought it was. Okay, I'm trying to follow this person and they're leading me through these side streets and okay, I've got two threats. Well, now... You come to an encounter where a couple of the associates of this person have found you. So you've been able to track this person, but they've led you into a trap because apparently they're related to Akbar. <laughs> Threat can change the nature of the roles. It can change the nature of the scene. All if you let it. One of the most memorable combat threat uses I can think of at the moment is, all right, you're shooting around and for two threat out. Oh. There are crates on the this level, and all of a sudden a puffer pig 
crate gets blown open, and there's a puffer pig that just got startled. <laughs> and poof! It is now almost lighter than air and bouncing around everywhere. It turns into an environmental hazard, but it's memorable and environmental. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which then turns into a very weird use of brace. To remove setback. Do you think? Oh no, I'm bracing around this puffer pig. <laughs> Almost have it. Almost have it. And got it. The door slides open with a hiss, and two stormtroopers stand on the other side of it. Oh, well, maybe I should have been a bit quieter. Thanks, Risa. I need to get that frustration out somehow. Stacking the unconscious troopers in their seats and taking their energy cells. Uh, so, do you think we're going to actually find food in this warehouse or the missile launchers that we were told about? Find us next time on a scuddugarous tale from the Hydean Way. We can be found on Twitter at the Hydean Way, and I'm at Deuterium Ice. You can find me at Cookie Kit. We are all at thehydeanway.com, where you can find previous episodes, links to things we talk about in the show, and our live play podcast, Heroes of the Hydean Way. You can find more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Plus, you can help us up at rating, reviewing, and subscribing. Drop the holocom at tales at thehydeanway.com. We're also on Facebook as Tales from the Hydean Way. If you like what we do and want to support the show, you can find us at patreon.com slash thehydeanway. Or you can give us a coffee at ko-fi.com slash the Heidi and Way.